Hallelujah. Good. Hi. I appreciate how you listen with your hearts. I am here by my spirit to lift your vision, wider your expectation, deeper your understanding, and reveal my love to you in greater measures. Your Father, God. I'm going to take you through some things again. If anything, we'll have a well-worn line within your hearts and minds. But I want to just review again, and then I want to pull out a couple of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11. Just look at them. But Jesus is God's... I'm just going to read this to you. I'm just going to relax and read it to you. So, Jesus is God's beloved Son. So let's focus our eyes on Him. Tune our ears to hear what God has spoken through Him. Let me just stop for a second. So let's focus our eyes on Jesus and tune our ears to what God has spoken through Him. God, who in the past spoke creation into being, and throughout the law and the prophets used various ways to convey His word in these late last days, has spoken to us through His Son. He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus, the Son of God. This should cause us to stop and consider the seriousness of the message. He's the one through whom God created the world. He's the one whom God has given the right to rule over the world. He's the one who is the perfect expression of God's nature. He is the one who is exactly like God is. And he's the one who holds the physical universe together simply by the power of his word. We should stop and listen. He's spoken to us through his son, Jesus, the son of man. And as the son of man, he offered his life as the sacrifice to purify us from sin. He's the one who redeems us. He's the one who saves us. As the son of man, he was raised from the dead and he took his place seated at the right hand of the majesty on the high. He's the one who's broken the power of death. He has opened heaven's glory. And as the son of man, he has been given the highest place, the highest title, the highest authority over all creation, over all created beings, whether visible or invisible in heaven or on earth, whether human or angelic, whether principalities or powers. And he has been guaranteed the ultimate victory over his enemies and dominion over the eternal kingdom of God. God has spoken to us through his Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man. The fact that he has used his own Son to convey this message to us should make us stop and take notice. What God has spoken through Jesus Christ comes with a warning to the hearers. What is at stake with this message is the salvation of your soul and your eternal destiny. And the reason you need to pay closer attention is that the pull of this present reality, simple earthly concerns, and affections for the things of this world are constantly pulling at your attention. And they are constantly seeking to draw you away from the call of heaven. All it takes is for your attention to drift, for you to begin to take this message with a 
bit of disinterest, heard it, been there, done it, and allow your heart and mind to just simply become a bit distracted. And the things of this world and the cares of this life will pull you as the call of heaven begins to slip from the reality of why you are living. Salvation. I find that when people talk about salvation, it's usually framed in the idea of the question, what is sin? What has sin done? How has it affected us? How does one find forgiveness of sin? And how can one be sure of heaven and escape hell? Salvation. But to frame it in a more useful and powerful way, we need to understand salvation in the light of the questions, what is the nature of man? What is God's interest in man? And why is it that God became man? What is the nature of man? He was created in the image and likeness of God to fill the earth and subdue it, expressing God's dominion over the earth and all created things within it. Man was created in the image of God to express his reign. What is God's interest in man? From mankind, male and female, will emerge God's offspring, God's heirs, those who will bear his image and likeness. They're his children. You're his children. You are God's children, his sons and his daughters. Do you love your children? Do you care about your children? Are you concerned about their future and destiny? Do you grieve when your relationship with your children is strained? Do you long for harmony in your relationship with them? Do you long to be able to share not just the inheritance of what you have, but the inheritance of who you are and what you have learned and gleaned through life? Do you long to be able to deposit that in your children? Do you long for your children to take what you have deposited within them and to grow up and to succeed in life? What is the interest of God in man? You are his children, his heirs. And from mankind will emerge those born of his spirit, born from above, born by the eternal seed of his word, born as a new creation, born as a chosen race, born as sons and daughters who will grow into his likeness, destined as his heirs to receive from him his kingdom. And in the age to come, The world will not be placed under the rule of angels, but all things, the scripture says, will be subjected to his children. Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Just a thought, in case you're wondering, scripture says in Hebrews 2 that in the age to come, 
Everything will not be placed in subjection to angels, but all things will be put in subjection under the feet of men. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Paul says to the church this, Do you not know that you will judge angels? You are his heirs, born to reign in his kingdom. What is man? What is God's interest in man? Why is it that God became man? Well, that's a big story. And hopefully we'll touch on some of it today. But in simple terms, he came to free us and to bring us from here to there. Here, children of wrath. Here, children who because of sin have fallen short of the glory they were created to walk in. Here, they have a sin nature. Here, they are under the power of Satan. Here, they are being influenced by the corruption of the world. Here, they are under the fear of death. Here, they are under eternal judgment. Here, they are living in futility. Here, they are bound under greed and sensual desires. Here. There. There. From here to there. There. Where do I look to understand there? One like a lamb. He is seated on the throne. And you are seated with him in heavenly places. And in the ages to come, there you will rule and reign with him. From here to there, he came into the world to become man in order to redeem us from the power that holds us here, in order to show us the process that it takes to arrive there, then to enter through obedience to death into the grave, up from the grave, into heaven, seated at the right hand of God to let you know here is a sure thing. So let's keep going. Right now we do not see humanity living honorably, revealing God's glory or walking in his destiny. Instead, though rejecting, through rejecting God and seeking to define life on his own terms, man has become a slave. His heart dark, his thinking futile, he's ruled by his natural cravings, sensual desires, selfish ambitions. He's headed for destruction. We do not see man as he was created to be, but we see Jesus. Now, we all have issues, we all have weaknesses, we all have areas of failing. And if you as believers focus on these, you're going to be discouraged, filled with cynicism and despair. But since you have come to put your faith in Christ, now fix your thoughts and fix your eyes on him. If you do, your understanding and focus will become clear. You will see your true value. You will see your, the true nature of who you were created to be. 
You will see the way you were created to live. You will see the culture of the kingdom you are now a part of. You will see your ultimate potential and your destiny. You will see God's intervention and you will see the process that God uses to develop characters and raise heirs. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Pay closer attention. Come on, church, pay closer attention. Stop doing the church thing and pay close attention. Consider even deeper than you have before. There is a call from heaven. There is an incredible message from heaven waiting to be explored in the person of Jesus Christ. Become fully persuaded and by faith respond to the call of heaven. Let your whole being be persuaded and respond to the call of heaven and to the hope of glory. Be fully assured. Fix your eyes on Jesus with faith and perseverance. Don't be lazy. Lay hold of eternal life. So I want you to consider Jesus, that though he was God, he was for a season, he for a season surrendered his rights to divinity. He became one with humanity, and he lived as a man. As a man, he clothed himself with humility. As a man in love, he gave himself to God to be the suffering servant on behalf of mankind. As a man, he surrendered his life in obedience to death on the cross to redeem our souls and to purify us from sin. And now he's seated at the right hand of God in the ultimate place of authority. I want you to consider Jesus. Consider him. He is the apostle of our confession. He was the one sent from heaven, the only one sent from heaven. He was the first to announce the kingdom of heaven of which you are now heirs. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn your heart towards God. The kingdom of heaven being God's activity and the outworking of his will here within the human heart and here within this earth. And through his life and teaching, he announced that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth. He revealed the kingdom of God as the reign of God within the hearts of its subjects. He taught its principles, demonstrated its power. He modeled its culture. He, he called his listeners to count the cost, to deny themselves, embrace the process, leave all, follow him, and lay hold of the kingdom. That was promised to them. He came as the apostle to lay the foundation. He is the foundation. And he is the cornerstone. And he is the one and the only one we are to align our lives with and align our relationship with God with. And as I go out and I talk with people on the streets, the one thing that stands in their way is not God, is not Jesus. It's us. Because they can name me all the things that they see in Christendom that they don't want any part of. And so I explain to them, this is the way I go about explaining it. I say, if you take a measurement and you measure a board and you cut it using that measuring tape, you will get the exact measurement. If you take that board now and you set it to the side and you use the measuring tape again and cut that board, you will get another accurate board the same size as the first one. 
But if instead you take the first board you cut and you cut the second one, and then you take that board and you cut the third one, eventually, 20 boards down the line, you are not going to have a board that's the same measurement as the first one. I said, I apologize. The church has kept measuring itself by itself instead of measuring itself by Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is the only one that has been sent from heaven. His life, the way he lived, the mind, his mind, the way he thought, his priorities, what he put first in his life, the cause for which he lived. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the high priest of our profession. He became man, one completely familiar with our needs, no stranger to our weaknesses, and yet he maintained purity. And even though he was sinless, the virtue of his strength, please listen to this, even though he was sinless, the virtue and strength of his human nature and character, as well as his dependence and trust in God, had to be thoroughly tested. His human nature could not just simply be trusted because he started off innocent. It had to be tested through all of the temptations and all of the trials that you go through in life. Why? Because ultimate power corrupts. And he was going to the place of ultimate power as a man. And the reason why you have to go through the same process is because you are going to the place with him. Therefore, your character has to be tested. And the situations in which it is tested is those situations many times you pray God delivers you from. Even though he was sinless, the virtue and strength of his human nature and character, as well as his dependence and trust in God, had to be thoroughly tested. This was accomplished through his obedience in the face of suffering and death. His life was one of humility, dependence, and self-service. His last act was love. His last words were forgiveness. His last breath was surrender. And through this, he pioneered the process that all sons and daughters must journey through at one level or another, in order to develop a mature and tested character, equipped and ready, prepared to reign with Christ in glory, which is our inheritance. Through this process, he set the example of dependence upon and trust in and obedience to God, no matter what the circumstance or opposition. And through the sacrifice of his, sinful life, his sinless life, he then made final and full atonement for man's sin, to deliver them from the power of darkness, to free them from their sin nature, and to put them on the path to eternal glory. And now he serves as our advocate at the throne of God in the power of an endless life to give us access to every provision we need in order to develop a life that pleases God. And now he lives by his Spirit within the life, within the heart of every believer. To be the source of wisdom, to be the source of strength and courage and virtue that we need in order to go through the process and learn to reign in life in order to prepare us to reign with Him for all eternity. If we cannot reign in life, 
And though God's promise of eternal inheritance is sure, no one can enter into that inheritance or experience without faith. Those of you who have been journeying with me know I'm just walking through Hebrews again with you, right? So you can read the first chapters, 1 to 6, though we haven't quite got into 6 yet, in order to teach us that faith is necessary, we were given Israel's example. They refused to be persuaded regarding the gospel that was preached to them in their generation. They were constantly murmuring and complaining in every situation that they faced, doubting the goodness of God, doubting the promises of God, resisting the, promise God, the, the, the process God was leading them through to teach them trust and obedience constantly resisting the process he was using to prepare them to enter into the land of promise, to overcome all the opposition that they would face and to lay hold of their inheritance. But I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about you who have received the gospel regarding your inheritance with Christ. I'm talking about you who have received the call that has brought you out of the dominion of darkness and has brought you into the kingdom which is your inheritance. I'm talking about you who God is leading through your wilderness and your process and your testing and your circumstances and your situations. And I'm talking about whether or not your inability to trust the goodness of God causes you to murmur and complain, causes you to resist what He is trying to do, causes you to continually look back to where you've come from and wish that you weren't in the process, causes you to take your eyes off of the vision of where it is that you're going, causes you to become lost in the pain of the moment rather than rejoicing in what God is doing through you. We need this, church. We need this. This isn't a pep rally. This is, we need this. This is solid, and we need it. Because of their unbelief, they refused to surrender to the leadership of God, fully trusting that what He had promised He would perform. Because of their unbelief, they failed to learn to trust and obey regardless of the challenge or the opposition. Because of their unbelief, they kept wanting to return to the past that He had delivered them from and always had that on their minds. Because of their unbelief, they read every situation as though God's angry with us, God's planning to abandon us, or God's out to kill us but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you and the situations of life and the challenges that you're facing as God is taking you through them in order to bring out in you what needs to be transformed by Him. Because of their unbelief, they saw no value in honoring God's law and covenant. They became unfaithful to Him because of unbelief they died in the wilderness, never learning to put their faith in what God had promised, never having the vision or the courage to possess it. Because of their unbelief, they never entered into the promise of God, even though it was purposed from the creation of the world. And God's oath is that no one who perseveres in unbelief will be able to enter in or experience what God has promised. So since faith is vital, we should talk about it. 
So the scripture says, so then faith comes by hearing. So it's through the means of hearing, which implies an openness and receptivity to what was heard, that faith is brought about in the heart and the mind. We hear the message, but I'm not talking about any message. I'm talking about what God has spoken through Christ regarding your destiny, regarding the process it takes to go through to that destiny, regarding what God is working on because you are his sons and his daughters and his heirs, about how much love God has for you, but that love is not always a feeling that you have of his nearness and his goodness and his wonderful cherishing you that you sometimes sense in his presence, which comes in order to soften you so that you will yield to the molding of the circumstances that you're in. Because God's love for you, the scripture says, behold, what manner of love the Father has for you, that you should be called the children of God. And that is what you are. And then Romans chapter 12 teaches us that Guys, stop drooping your hands down and getting all discouraged about what you're going through because your father loves you. And if your father loves you like any good father, your father's going to bring you through the circumstances of life, which is going to cause you to grow and to mature. But he's not just out in order to make you successful citizens of this world. He's actually training you in righteousness and in holiness so that you will be completely set apart from the corruption of this world and completely fitted for heaven so that you can be heirs of his kingdom. But you have to hear that and be fully persuaded of it and hold that persuasion with perseverance when the circumstances that you are going through are yelling at you. Do you hear what I'm saying? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Faith that lays hold of God's salvation and actually allows the process of salvation to take place within the life is faith that comes about in response to hearing the word that God has spoken to us through Christ. And this is the message that I've been speaking about. When faith is present, it can be observed. So the centurion servant who was suffering, he came to Jesus so that he would heal heal his servant. Matthew 8, 9 to 11. He says, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and and he goes. To another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. You see, his faith had expression through his life. Faith has an expression. You can see it. You can observe it. You can hear it. Matthew 9 says that some people brought to Jesus a paralytic that was lying on a bed. And you know the story of how they tore the roof off in order for Jesus to be able to get their friend in to see Jesus. And it says, and when Jesus saw their faith. See, faith is observable. You can see it. James 2 17 18 says, So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and it is useless. 
Now someone may argue, well, some have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, all right, show me your faith without works. Go ahead, show it to me. I'll show you my faith by my works. Because faith that is living is active. You can see it. You can observe it. So Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, listen to this. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him. Oh, I thought He was supposed to be working hard for me and I didn't have to do... He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him. But Paul would say, yet not I, but it was grace working in me. And how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. And our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and their endurance. I'm just reading the scriptures to you. That's all I'm doing. So it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So hope deals with promise of, the future go- of a future good. Hope deals with a promise of a future good. Future. Hope. Future. But faith says, since God has promised it, Even though its promise is future, it's as good as mine today. And then faith looks to invest time and energy towards that hope because of the certainty of God's promise. And you will see a life that is persuaded by this message of Christ. They will be invested in the cause of Christ. You will see a person who has not paid attention, who is not focused on Jesus, who is measuring themselves by themselves. You will see that person has an active, maybe an active church routine, maybe not such an active church routine, but they are not, they are not actively involved in bringing their life in alignment with the teaching of Christ bringing their mindset into alignment with the mind of Christ, bringing their priorities into alignment with the priorities of Christ, and causing their life to be invested in the cause of Christ. Faith says, I'm going to rule and reign with Christ in His kingdom. I am an heir of His kingdom. Therefore, I'm investing in that kingdom. I'm preparing for that day. I want to make sure that I am... I recognize that impatience in me. And if that impatience is given the opportunity of ultimate power, what am I going to do? But God's dealing with that impatience within me, and I'm going to let him deal with it. Bring it on, God. Here we go. But I know what you're up to, 
It's not because you don't love me. It's not because you're angry with me. It's not because I should feel condemned, guilty, ashamed. It's because you love me and you're working on this. So I'm going to be a cooperator with you. I'm not going to murmur and complain. I'm not going to point the finger and pass the blame. I'm just going to stand here and let you work on me. Because I know what you're up to. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. In the same way that observing evidence gives validity that what one believes is true. I, I thought it was true. I believed it was true. Now I look at the evidence and I know it's true. I'm sure it's true. In the same way that evidence gives validity to something, faith accepts that the invisible and the eternal things are even more real and the promises of God not yet seen are even more certain simply because God said it. Because here's the underlying framework of faith. Everything that exists is because God said it. Everything that exists is because God said it. Now, I'm just going to grab my Bible here for a second. I'm at Hebrews chapter 11. So by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith, underlying work, is just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't. Just because I can't see it now doesn't mean it isn't mine. Hallelujah. And it's coming up. Because I tell you, everything that is was created because God said it. And if God said it, it is. Let me do that again. That slipped by you. Everything that's created was created because God said it. So if God said it, it is. It's the underlying framework. And behold what love the Father has before. That you should be called the sons of God. And if God says it, that is who you are. And if God has spoken through his son, and you see what God has spoken through his son, brings his son down to earth, he becomes a man, he becomes clothed in humanity, he suffers, goes through the process, his character is perfected, his obedience is perfected, he goes into the grave, he rises from the grave, and he's now at the right hand of the throne. End of message. Except for one more chapter. That is your destiny. And if God says it, that is your destiny. Okay? Okay? Now, we're going to end up going through this chapter a little bit. I have a sense we're going to do that. But I'm just going to give you just a taste of that. And then, now, all right. Let me just do this. I just want to give you a taste of where we're going. Because in this chapter, we are not talking about these men, these women. We're talking about you. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, still he speaks. Now, I want to get this guy Abel out of the way because he's kind of, a, he's kind of different than some of the rest. See, see, some of the other ones, God said to them, go out. God warned them, make an ark. But Abel, 
There's nothing in the Scriptures that show us that God told him what kind of a sacrifice to make. Now, some people, all the commentaries, they want to conjecture about that, but it doesn't say, so stop saying it. God never gave him a commandment. It's not recorded in Scriptures. What God did was he looked in Abel's heart and he saw that in his offering was faith. He gave his offering to please God. And God saw that. Cain came and he gave his offering. It probably, some some people want to go through the wording, it wasn't the best. He gave his offering from the fruit of his labors. Gave his offering. And God said, I'm not pleased with that. And Cain said, but my heart was to please you. So what offering do you want me to bring? Now, so we have two people bring in an offering, but God looks in the one person's heart and sees faith, a heart that is worshiping and serving to please him. He looks in the other and he sees a heart that is worshiping, but it's to please self. And the way God brings it out so that you could see it is he corrects Cain. Because one of the best ways to find out whether or not someone is worshiping to please God is to put a restriction on them or put a correction on them. And you will watch an attitude come out of them and a response that comes out of them that indicates this really wasn't about pleasing God. This was about themselves. As a leader, you face that all the time. You put a restriction on somebody, you put a correction that's there as gently as you may want to put it. But if inside the worship that's there is not one of faith towards God, simply desiring to please Him, you will watch and you will see. God allowed us to see it in Cain. But that means two people could be worshiping side by side in a service. Two of them at the same moment as the music is crescendoing. They both lift their hands before God. They both But it is possible that one's very conscious of how humble they're being. (laughs) And the other is just poured out before God. Because here's the reality. God sees what you do to please Him. Because you are simply looking. You are seeking Him and trusting Him to take care of you. And He sees that. And no matter how small that act is, this person may be over there and everybody's going, wow, look how much they did. Look how much they gave. Look how spiritual they are. Look how amazing their gifts are. And this person is over here just hardly even noticed, not a lot of talents, just doing something from their heart towards God in faith, just wanting to please Him. Here, the applause of men. Here, the applause of heaven. Church, be those who go after the applause of heaven. By faith, Abel still speaks. Let's pray. God, you're doing a good work in us. You're doing a great work in us. We don't always like the feelings 
of the great work you're doing in us. But God, I'm asking that the level of faith in this house would rise. That the enemy's ability to be able to use the circumstances of our lives to somehow slander you to us and us to you so that God somehow we don't recognize we're right in the middle of an incredible plan. And these circumstances that we're walking through have nothing to do with whether or not we're spiritual or, or not. Or, okay, okay, it had nothing to do with whether you're angry. It has, it has everything to do with the process that you're taking us through. And you want us in those moments, instead of trying to find escape, you want us to find you and find your purpose Find what it is you're doing in our lives and find where it is you want us to grow and what it is of the nature of Christ you want us to lay hold of. How you want to use this to benefit us and cause us to grow. And you want us, hallelujah, to find joy in that moment. To be absolutely, to watch that process happen to watch us persevere through it, to watch that issue be changed and transformed, and then to realize God's love is moving me towards my destiny. And to be filled with such exceeding joy. Father, I present this church to you. They are yours. Take this little talk and cause it to be a seed of great things within them because these are great people. In Jesus' name.